Good morning. Today's scripture reading is Psalm 102 and 103. You can read along with me on page 9. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. For my days pass away like smoke, and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and has withered. I forget to eat my bread. Because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. I am like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I am like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. All the day my enemies taunt me. Those who deride me use my name for a curse. For I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink. Because of your indignation and anger, for you have taken me up and thrown me down. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. You will arise and have pity on Zion. It is the time to favor her. The anointed time has come. For your servants hold her stones dear and have pity on her dust. Nations will fear the name of the Lord, and all the kings of the earth will fear your glory. For the Lord builds up Zion. He appears in his glory. He regards the prayer of the destitute and does not despise their prayer. Let this be recorded for a generation to come, so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord, that he looked down from his holy height, from heaven the Lord looked at the earth, to hear the groans of the prisoners, to set free those who were doomed to die, that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord, and in Jerusalem his praise, when peoples gather together and kingdoms to worship the Lord. He has broken my strength in mid-course, he has shortened my days. O oh my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of my days, you whose years endure throughout all generations. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. 
As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children. To those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Allie. We continue in our series on lament. And we've just read two um, psalms, 102 and 103. And while these psalms were probably not written at the same time or probably not even written by the same person, when the book of Psalter was gathered together, they were placed next to one another. They were put in that place so that we could see and recognize that lament does not go far away from thanksgiving and praise. And so over the last couple of weeks, what we've recognized is the lament is a gift that God gives us to worship. But it's part of who we are in worshiping and knowing and bringing glory to God. Last week we talked about that lament leads us to trust, to knowing who God is completely and believing that he is good and all he does is good. And today we're going to discuss and figure out what it means to live in Psalm 102 and 103 and how we move through that lament to a place of hope that God brings to us. In his book, Rejoicing in Lament, Wrestling with Incurable Cancer and a Life in Christ, Todd Billings starts the book by saying this, get well soon, Jesus loves you. God is bigger than cancer. My tears started to flow as I read these words. These were from a 15-year-old girl with Down syndrome in my congregation. Less than a week earlier, the doctor spoke the diagnosis to me, about which I had no doubt about a cancer of the bone marrow, multiple myeloma, an incurable cancer, a fatal disease. I had been in a fog ever since. How was I to face each day when my future, which had seemed so wide open, had suddenly narrowed? My world seemed to be caving in on itself with fog in each direction I turned so that no light could shine in it. While I'd received many cards in the previous day, this one was different. God is bigger than cancer. Yes, She did not say, God will cure you of this cancer, or God will suffer with you. God is bigger than cancer. The fog is thick, but God is bigger. My cancer story was already developing its own sense of drama. The sky was closing in, enveloping my whole world so that nothing else could creep in. But God's story, the drama of God's action in the world, was bigger The girl in my church wasn't denying the fog or the loss, but testifying that God was greater, that God had 
made known in Jesus Christ who shows us that the light shines into the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. He goes on through this book to talk about how running towards a life in Christ helped him to understand why lament was so important because it took him back to the understanding of what we talked about last week, said, the steadfast love of God. And it is only in that place that we're able to move to hope. I want to read Ezekiel to you. Ezekiel 2, 9. And then 3.1. Ezekiel is a prophet and he's receiving a message from God and this is what happens. He says this, I'll start in verse 8. But you, son of man, hear what I say. Be not rebellious like the rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. And when I looked, behold, a hand was stretched out to me and behold, a scroll of the book was in it. And he spread it out before me. And it had written on it on the front and on the back and there were writings on its words, words of lamentation and mourning and woe. And he said to me, son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll and go speak it to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me this scroll to eat. And he said to me, son of man, feed your belly with this scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. Remember, All lament, all woe. And then I ate it, Ezekiel says. And it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. And we think to ourselves, how can that possibly be? How can it be that you would say that in the midst of lament, in the midst of woe, in the midst of sorrow, when you take that in and you eat it, it tastes to you as if it is honey. Now, some of us probably think to ourselves, well, I've tasted many types of honey. My favorite honey that I've discovered since moving to Western Australia, by the way, is white gum honey. Honey that is only produced by bees that are around the white gum tree. It is so buttery and flavorful. It is like I would just take it, if I mixed it with peanut butter, oh, heaven. Now, I've had other honeys, honeys that are mixed, honeys brought from different places and basically the dregs of all honey. You know, you buy it in the store when you're like, we need honey, but I don't want to spend $14.95 on honey, so I'll buy this little $6 squirt bottle of honey. And you put it on and it tastes like honey, but it's not nearly as good. And so when we read that, we think to ourselves, that must be the honey. It's clearly not the white gum honey. (laughs) It's clearly not the honey that is the best honey. It's it's clearly that honey that has that sort of metallic or, or bitter kind of taste to it. He wouldn't have meant that. What I hope you discover as we walk through lament that leads us to hope is to understand that God only has what's best for us. So we know that God will not give us honey that is bitter. However, we might have to endure bitterness to find that sweet honey. What happens in this psalm, we recognize. 
At least we should in 102 and 103. The writer calls out in lament because he is overcome. He is pushed down. And we see in Psalm 102 what we've looked at, that there's an address to God, right? That there's a request made to him, that there's a complaint to God, and at some point there's a move towards thanksgiving. He says, hear my prayer, O Lord. Let me cry. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of distress. Incline your ear to me and answer me speedily. And then he goes on and talks about how his life is of no consequence. As a matter of fact, a little bit later in it, he says, you have broken my strength in mid-course and you have shortened my days. Todd Billings in his book talks about how we seem to be promised long life and longevity. And so when something comes in and tells us, no, you're not do that, we tend to blame God. That's what the psalmist is doing here. You've shortened my life and my days. It's as if the world conspires against us to bring us down. And not just the world, not just things that are outside of our control, but even our own stuff, even the things that we bring. So many of the Psalms of Lament spring from the heart of David after he has sinned. And he is walking in the consequences of what those are. You see, we know that all sin brings consequence. It brings brokenness because it steps into the brokenness that sin, in fact, is. And it's when we walk into that brokenness and we step into those consequences that we recognize how desperate our life has become. Because the consequences of sin is always slavery, bondage, hurt, pain, broken relationships, and ultimately death. And so we cry out and lament. Or something else has happened around us. We have enemies that are pursuing us. Cancer steps in and we cry out, Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come to you. And hope seems faint. It seems distant. It seems far away. John Calvin suggests that we pray to God this way. Would you increase our hope when it is small? Awaken it when it is dormant. Confirm it when it is wavering. Strengthen it when it is weak. And that he would even rise it, raise it up when it is overthrown. What we see here in these prayers of lament and places that we can walk are their open questions and their prayers really of hope and promise. See, they refuse to accept a tame and domestic God who's not powerful or is not good to his covenantal promises. Uh, we tend to be fatalistic in our approach when trouble comes and say there's no way that this can be overcome. This isn't the way that it's supposed to be. But a prayer of lament says... I believe in the genuine, paradoxical, biblical understanding that God is good. And all He does is good. And while the world looks to me to be spiraling out of control, in fact, He is in control of the world. When we move through lament, we can move to a place where we have hope in God. 
that He is both good and almighty and that He is here to stay and He doesn't change. That's the amazing thing about Psalm 102 and Psalm 103 together. There's this place in Psalm 102 where He says this, Of old you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are your works of your hands. They will perish. The world will go away. Everything that I know and everything that I can feel, every empirical understanding of my life will fade away. They will perish. But you will remain. They will wear out like a garment. But you will change that robe. And they will pass away. But you are the same. And then what happens is we move to 103 and we begin to see this great praise take place. This calling out that says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is in within me. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all your benefits. Who is it? Who forgives all my iniquities? God. Who heals all our diseases? God. Who redeems our life from the pit? God. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy? You are crowned with steadfast love and mercy. Who satisfies? You are good. The Lord works righteousness. It's a recognition that in lament we see God is here and He does not change. And it moves us away from the idols of our hearts. You see, the idols of our hearts will always fail us. They will bring us no hope. James mentioned that yesterday we had an election. I personally didn't get to vote. I'm very sad about that. I actually like to vote. But I wasn't able to vote yesterday because I'm not quite a citizen. But when I become a citizen, I'll be able to vote. And I'll have to figure out what that looks like because your ballots are crazy. Here's what happened this morning. There are some who woke up and they looked at the results or they stayed up late last night and listened to the results and they were overjoyed. There are some who woke up this morning or looked at the results and they were despondent and turned down. There are some who look at the votes and say, yep, that's what I figured. My vote doesn't matter anyway. Here's the problem. Whether we agree with what party's in, in power or what party's not in power, whether we completely understand and agree with the policies that they want to bring forth and, and implement, what can happen is that we will look and say, government saves. That if my party doesn't get in, then life ceases as I know it. Now, you and I can have a disagreement about whether which party is doing what and, and how that works, but, but what tends to happen in our heart, we don't live that nuanced. <laughs> we tend to live with a all-in or all-out sort of way. All right, maybe that's just me. If I'm going to eat dessert, I'm going to eat the whole thing. There's no reason to just have part of it. And we do that in our lives and we say, look, here's the deal. It's not the way I wanted it to be. I'd hope that government would save me. My government didn't get in, and so life is going to be terrible for the next three years or until they change prime minister again or whatever it looks like. Or we think to ourselves, because my government's in, life's going to be great, it's easy going, and things are going to go well. 
Your life does not ultimately depend on who's sitting as the prime minister and what party's in government. Nor does mine. I could say that about the president of my passport country. Ultimately, who is sitting in that seat of power will fail, regardless if I agree 100% or don't agree at all with what they're doing. But the problem in our lives is that we forget that God is forever and that this world is temporary and the powers that are put in place or the things that we put our hope in will fade away. They are like garments that wear out. And so lament takes us to the place that we're able to call out to God in anguish, in pain, in suffering, in despair. But in doing that, we have engaged with God. That's the reason why a prayer of lament is always a prayer of hope. Because it acknowledges something that is bigger and beyond us. And it says, God is there and He is listening. And so we move to that place. The heart of lament is a heart of hope in a God who is good and almighty. The Lord who is faithful to His promises. The psalmist's hope is not that God will do wish fulfillment. God does not act always as we want. But we believe that God is good. And He's not distant from evil that he would just simply mourn over it and say, yes, evil's bad. I'm sorry that it's in the world. Just wait, I've got a plan to take care of it. No. He is a God who steps into the calamity of our world. He doesn't promise us cures for cancer or a brand new car or a bigger house or restoration of our relationships. The God of Scripture doesn't necessarily do what we want him to do. But he is a God that says, I have stepped into that place. I have walked into the darkness and the depths. I am not afar, but I am near with you. Lament dares to hope while life is hard. When we begin to lament and put it into practice, what we are really doing is choosing to rehearse over and over and over again in our own hearts the truth that we know about God. Nicholas Walsterf, who wrote a book called Lament of a Son, about a son who passed away, wrote this. Faith is a footbridge that you don't know will hold you over the chasm until you're forced to walk in it. You see, lament is a lament of hope that rises from faith despite the fear that we have. Tim Keller put it this way, our heart will look at a situation and it will say to us, it is hopeless. But what our response should be is this. We should say, well, that depends on what you put your hope in. Was that the right thing to put so much hope in? 
He goes on to talk about the psalmist who wrote in, in Psalm 42, Why are you so downcast, O my soul? Notice that he's not admonishing God. He then says, Put your hope in God, and I will praise Him. The lament of hope is an honest, it's always honest with our struggles. But it says, His steadfast love will never end. Hope springs from the truths that we know about God that we rehearse in our lives. That's the beauty of Psalm 102 and 103. So just practically, this week, when you're overcome, and you will be, perhaps not to the level of despair where you want to grow your beard out all the way, shave your head, put sackcloth on, and have ash on top of your head, which I might do next Sunday. Wouldn't that be fun? But to the point where you're like, this can't be right. Go to Psalm 102 and 103. Rehearse the truth that we find about God so that it tells us and reminds us over and over again that God is good and there is hope that is present. Here's the other thing. Cornell West says this, despair and hope are inseparable. One can never understand what hope is really about unless one wrestles with despair. Hope means wrestling with despair, but never allowing it to be the last word. He, here's the thing. And why we decided that we should talk about lament. Too often, our hope is based on temporal things. And the reason why we're allowed in our hearts and minds to base our hope on temporal things is because we don't take the time to actually walk the path of despair. We have the attitude that when something hard is coming our way, whether it be externally brought to us or whether it be internally manifest because of something we have done as a consequence of a choice we've made, it's easier for us just to deny it, to say, oh, that's not there. I'm not going to deal with it. God's good. God's good. God's good. I'm not going to deal with it. Or to numb it in some chemical and or other ways so that we don't step deeply into the despair that is this. There's a great book out there that is that in every pew, there's a story. Each one of you here, at this moment, have places of amazing joy in your life, but you also have places of hurt. And too often we will recognize and only talk about the victorious life that God brings us. When we hear things, and I'm prone to say it, that God promises you abundant life, life better than you've ever dreamed, victorious life, what we end up doing is relegating the despair and the hurt and the sorrow of life to the side. 
Even putting it out of our minds completely, saying there's no way that that could exist in the victorious life. But when we wake up in the morning, we recognize, no, in fact, that life can be filled with despair. And if I avoid it, I will never be fully able to walk in to hope. That's what Cornell West is saying there. That hope comes because of the recognition that hope is needed. Hope is present because of the recognition that there are things to grieve. But for those of us who are in Christ, and so let me say, if you are not in Christ, hear Him calling out. I'm going to read a passage from 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 and 15. It says this, Paul writing, he says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. The ultimate reason for our hope is not found in what we want or what we wish for or what we wait for. The ultimate reason for our hope is because God provides it to us through Christ. See, Christian hope is resurrection hope. And it proves to us that the truth that we are experiencing is contradicted by the truth of God. That it will not last forever. That our future prospect is offered and guaranteed to us by the righteousness of Jesus, who opposes all sin, who opposes death, who opposes even suffering, but only comes to it through walking through that suffering. Sometimes we wish that we didn't have to grieve, that we didn't have to hurt, that it would all just go away. But what we see in Psalm 102 and 103, what we recognize in the understanding that God doesn't change, that He is true and that He is solid, that He will always be and He always has been and He will be forever, that He reigns on high and is pursuing us completely in His steadfast love. That when we recognize the, same, the things that Psalm 103 tells us, then we're able to run back to Psalm 102 and cry out and say, Oh God, where are you? Because we know that it is in walking through that grief that we will exit into hope. When we walk through that sorrow, we will exit into hope. That we don't stay there. Because we do not hope, we do not hope as those who don't have a reason. We don't grieve as those who have a reason, don't have a reason to hope. We grieve as those who have that reason. That's why we move to that place. Listen again to these words. Bless the Lord, O my soul. 
and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like an eagle. The Lord's works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known His ways to Moses, His acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will He keep His anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the steadfast love toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him. For He knows us, He knows our frame, and He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like the flower of the fields. For the wind passes over it and is gone, and it places no, and its place is known no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting to those who fear Him and the righteousness to children's children and those who keep His covenant and remember to do His commands. The Lord has established His thrones in the heavens and His kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you His angels, you mighty ones who do His word, obeying the voice of the Lord. Bless the Lord, all His hosts, His ministers, who do His will. Bless the Lord, all His works, in all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. We cry out and lament because it brings us to hope. And we come to hope by rehearsing in our own hearts over and over again the truth about who God is. The benefit is it's not just up to me. Because God sent His Son, Jesus, to be the purest example of what that is. And He didn't set me by myself. He gave me to you. And He gave you to me. That I at times, or you at times, when you cannot rehearse for yourself the truth of who God is, He calls us to rehearse that truth to one another. To speak it out and say, here is the God who is good. Hope in Him. Let me pray. Father, let these words be Your words. And if they're not, we ask that they will burn up, that they will not be counted as good. But if they are Your words, that they will take root in our hearts and that they will bear good fruit unto You. It's in Your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and sing in response.